The way we take care of ourselves is ever evolving. And what we know for sure is that our mind and spirit are linked to our physical body and that our wellness seems to extend into our communities and the planet we all share. It is very, very clear that wellness is interconnected. We love spending time with you to explore and practice the breakthroughs, the insights, and the passions of incredible people helping us all see the world in a whole new light. This is HealthGig. On HealthGig today, Tricia interviews Rachel Engelhart, who is a registered dietitian, licensed professional counselor, and certified intuitive eating counselor. Rachel specializes in the treatment of eating disorders and body image concerns across the age spectrum. Rachel is passionate about helping people cultivate a healthier relationship with food and body image. She's a frequent speaker on the topic of meal prep strategies, pediatric nutrition, and eating disorder prevention. And I hope you enjoy this podcast. Rachel, thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We are so excited to talk with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Tell us about who you are and what you do and what you're up to. Yeah. So my name is Rachel Engelhart. I'm a registered dietitian, a licensed professional counselor, and I'm also certified in intuitive eating. I work with people to have a healthier relationship with food. I specialize in the treatment of eating disorders, but I also love working with families and individuals to just cultivate a healthier relationship with food and to feel better in their bodies. Yeah. And I know when we talked before, you were saying that you were hoping that today you could help all of our listeners, myself included, to be able to shift our thinking a little bit about our food and our body. And that through this conversation, people will learn to maybe have a little more compassion for themselves, a little bit more gentle with themselves. Because it is interesting in preparation for our talk today, I was kind of watching myself while I was eating or what I'm doing or what I'm thinking. And there is so much judgment, so much judgment that goes into it. So I'm particularly excited to have this conversation today. I am too. And I, I love how you said all of that. I think that that's exactly right. I think that that's a really good takeaway. And I think that's a really nice thing for us all to just aspire to, just being more self-compassionate more gentle in the way we think and talk about food and our bodies. How did you get into this career and what do you love about it? So I am from the area and I grew up with a wonderful family. I have two really loving parents. I'm the third of four kids. And I think like a lot of teens, I struggled with my own relationship to food and my body. I was a bigger kid. And I'm not just saying that. Like I definitely had a lot of conversations from the doctor. I remember being weighed in gym class. I really hope they stop that practice because it's such a terrible one. And just feeling and knowing that I was much bigger than the people around me. I really remember that feeling of just feeling so uncomfortable, so almost like trapped in my body, feeling like I I think uncomfortable is the best way to say it. Just a lot of self-loathing and also a low self-esteem. Like I said, I'm the th third of four kids. And you know, I think being a third kid, it can be a tough position to be in. I developed an eating disorder eventually. I actually started going to jazzercise with my mom and it was a really nice bonding experience, but I think my body just kind of did need more movement than I was getting. And I ended up losing a lot of weight, probably it was also puberty. And then I went on to really restrict and I got positive attention for the comments that I got in, with regard to the weight loss. And it really grew into a full-fledged eating disorder, one that I had for probably like seven years. 
in college, I finally sought help and I went to the support group and I remember just getting tools that for the first time I really saw how I could think about myself differently. They were tools that taught me self-compassion and hearing other people's stories and not feeling alone in my eating disorder for the first time was really eye-opening. And I gained so much strength and comfort from that and couldn't help but wonder what it would have been like if I had had someone along the way who could have just supported me or helped me see things differently. Really, that's what's informed my career. It's that I know what it feels like to feel uncomfortable and it feels like to feel not good enough. And I just feel so lucky that this is the work that I get to do to help people get to a healthier place with their own relationship to food and body. Such important work. When you said you had developed a full-fledged eating disorder, what was it? I mean, when I ask that, I guess I'm familiar with bulimia, I'm familiar with anorexia, but are there others that you consider to be full-fledged eating disorders? Yes, absolutely. I feel that there are many people who are rather high-functioning and navigate the world with an eating disorder or at least disordered eating. And I think your question about how we do we define them is a really good one. I do think that the lines are kind of blurred and it's hard to know exactly who has an eating disorder or not. And I highly recommend that if anyone listening has any concerns, they seek help from a mental health professional or physician or a dietitian because it could be really helpful to gain clarity on what anyone is struggling with, but no one has to be put in a box. So I'm going to name a few of the eating disorders that exist that are in the DSM, but just because they exist doesn't mean, and you don't fall into them, doesn't mean that you don't have an eating disorder and you still are deserving of care and support. So anorexia nervosia is what I would say I had. I was never officially diagnosed, but knowing what I know now, I'm confident that that's what I struggled with. And so that's just extreme restriction. Bulimia nervosa is when someone purges after eating. Purging could look like vomiting. It could also look like exercise. It could also look like misuse of insulin. So there are also varieties within each variety and within each diagnosis. And then there's also binge eating disorder, which is like the loss of control around eating. ARFID is avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. That's a newer one. And that's usually not associated with the desire to lose weight or to have a thinner body, but it's someone who just has a lot of restrictions or dislikes or sensitivities to food. So their eating is really limited because maybe they have like a sensory issue or maybe they had a choking incident, or maybe they just have a natural dislike of food. And like I said, that list is not at all exhaustive because orthorexia is another one that's not officially recognized, but orthorexia is being like so quote unquote healthy or eating quote unquote so clean that you're not actually meeting your nutrient needs and that it's quite obstructive to living a full life. So yeah, it is. There's all different kinds of ways that it can show up. But what you're saying is, look, let's just look at it and take the steps. There's tools, there's ways that we can heal. It is manageable, right? The thing is, is that a lot of people are really high functioning. There's a great book out there. It's called Sick Enough. It's written by Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani. The whole premise of her book is that so many people think that they're not sick enough to be deserving of care. And the reality is, is that anyone can be supported. I think that we all have a lot of work to do in terms of our relationship to how we feed ourselves, how we feel in our bodies. And we should all have a very low threshold for getting the support around that that we need. That is so interesting. And I look forward to reading the book, Sick Enough. I think that's right. Sometimes we just don't think we're sick enough to get the help we need. I use this example with my clients sometimes where I work with people who are really high functioning. They are at the top of their career. They're doing very well. They're very impressive. And when they talk to me, I can see 
it's almost like this backpack. It's like this really heavy backpack on their backs. Like they're going into their exam, let's say they're a college student and they're going to totally ace their chemistry test, right? They're really smart. They've studied really well, but it's like they're walking across campus to this test and they are just carrying this backpack that is so heavy. It has their computer in it, their water bottle, their wallet, their textbooks. And it's just like, they're going to go to the test and they're going to do amazing on it, but it's digging into their shoulders. Their experience of going to do life's activities is just really joyless. They're carrying this incredible burden on their back. And I think that for a lot of people, that's what an eating disorder or disordered eating can do. It just kind of sucks the joy out. It's like carrying this very heavy burden around with you everywhere you go. And so when I talk to my clients about this, I always just try to figure out what's the first thing we could take out? Like, how can we just make it a little bit lighter? How can we start to see ourselves in a slightly more positive kind of perspective? How can we just find a little bit more joy in the things that we're doing? I think that a trained professional could be really helpful in terms of doing that, just trying to start to unload some of that weight that we've acquired over the years in terms of the way we're feeling about ourselves and our bodies. Rachel, you know, in your experience, why do you think so many of us are critical when it comes to our appearance? And I say so many of us because I do know people that aren't. I've met and I love them. I mean, I was just recently with somebody and I'm feeling not so looking so good. And she goes, gosh, I just rocked today. Look at this dress on me. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, she really does. And she looks really good. But for the most part, I don't hear that from people. From the right. most part, it's the other side, you know? And and why do you think we are so critical of our appearances? Yes. Well, first of all, I love that you have someone like that in your oh life. Oh my God. She, and you know, yeah. she did rock it. I mean, I don't use that word, but I'm like, yeah, she looks so good today. And she felt good and she was just feeling awesome. And I did say to her, wow, I never even think like that, you know? And she's like, yeah, I love this dress. It was joyful to be with her. (laughs) I think that's an interesting perspective to have of like, look what she brought to you. She brought this feeling of like, I am good enough. I deserve to be here. I feel great in my skin. There's something really beautiful, inspiring. There's an energy that comes with that feeling. I am good enough. I'm here. Sometimes I think about like, if I'm giving a talk or I have an appearance, if I talk to myself like, oh my gosh, I am the worst. I am not prepared for this. I'm going to mess up. I am terrible versus I'm like, you know what? I can do this in my sleep. I've got this. <laughs> I am I am here for it. Let's go. We show up very differently. And I just think it's so cool that this friend really modeled for you what it looks she like really to just did. like It's so contagious. And maybe there'll be a time in the near future where you're able to show up and just be like, you know what? My hair is just on point. I've got it. I can't believe it. <laughs> That would be pretty awesome to feel that way. But to answer your question, (laughs) we live in this world that is like, if you ever heard the term diet culture, it's the idea that we live in this environment, this society that puts so much pressure on us to look a certain way, to eat a certain way, to act a certain way. And really that has such an impact. If we all had an environment and we were all constantly exposed to people who are like, how amazing do I look? I feel so good in my outfit. I feel so good in my body. I'm so proud of who I am. I feel so good about the way I show up as a friend. Then I think we would all have a very different energy about us. But unfortunately, magazine covers don't yell at us to feel more proud of ourselves and to really acknowledge the things about us that make us so special. They tell us how to avoid certain foods so that our body looks like X or what organizers to buy so that our linen closet looks cleaner. It really harps on our anxiety and our beliefs that we're not enough. Our society 
really harps and benefits from us feeling like we're not good enough. And I think that that's really where a lot of it comes from. What do you see that's so concerning about how people talk about what they're eating a lot? You know, we've all been with people that spend a lot of time talking about what they're eating or what they're going to eat. What signs do you look for? What do you see this as a sign of? When people are fixated on what they're eating, I find that usually it's indicative of insecurity, of feeling uncomfortable, of feeling not enough. In general, we put a lot of morality, we assign a lot of morality to what we eat. And again, that's a diet culture. If people weren't on Instagram or social media talking about kale and what they're making with kale or how to go on a cleanse or how to eliminate certain foods or what diet they're on, I don't think that people would feel the need to subscribe to that. But because we live in this culture that is so reductive and really wants us to believe that we are only as good as our food choices, I think that that's why it comes up a lot. I have to say, though, you know, how you're just describing, you have this friend who was like, hey, look, how great do I look? She like, couldn't wait just, to come on. <laughs> yeah, that's something that we can also, I think, all model for people. We are so much more than our food choices. And so if we're sitting around with our girlfriends or we're sitting around in company and we start talking about our food, I mean, I think in general, we all agree, like, usually there are more interesting things to talk about than just the weather. There's more interesting things to talk about than the food. There's more interesting things to talk about than just our appearance. We all have a lot of depth. There's so much more. And listen, I don't mean to come here and sound like, oh, well, if you do this, it's a problem. Please don't hear judgment in what I'm saying. That is absolutely not my intention. My hope is just to highlight that I think that sometimes we do get really consumed in what we're eating or how we're looking or just like analyzing what the person wore to this event last week. In certain company, like maybe that feels safer and okay. But in general, if that's kind of the theme of an ongoing conversations or every time you're together, you're just finding yourself looking at what people are wearing and really just kind of like hyper fixating on that and not seeing the bigger picture, not seeing your friend for someone that you love and cherish and really care about because you connect with them on a deeper level. I just am asking you to consider where that's coming from. That's really what I'm trying to say, because I do think that, you know, I'm a mom of three. I have three young children. I have two daughters and a son. And if there is one thing I really hope to pass on to them, it's that they know that they are so much more than their size or their shape, that whatever size their body is meant to be, they have the freedom to occupy however much spaces they're meant to occupy. And I do think that if we as a society could emphasize or de-emphasize those qualities about people, I do think that we have this opportunity to raise a generation that is actually really at peace with food and have a more peaceful like existence in the world and a better self-confidence. What steps can people do to, you know, at any age, start this process to improve their relationship with food? There are lots of things that people can do to improve their relationship with their body and with food. And so one in general, I would say, is just to take the judgment out of it. Try being curious. If you eat something and you walk away from a meal and you think to yourself, like, oh, I feel so terrible. I shouldn't have eaten that. Get curious about that. What is it about that meal that's making you feel terrible? What is it in your body that's making you feel terrible? Did you actually do anything wrong? Maybe you're feeling full. Is feeling full so bad? For most people, feeling full is a sensation that passes. And then they're able to realize like, you know what? I think I might have overdid it with the dessert. You know, maybe next time I should just have a little bit less dessert or maybe next time I'm going to order differently. And just having the ability to 
just be curious about what happened and how to learn from that experience and move on so that they don't repeat it next time. But rather than having a judgment, oh, I'm so bad, or oh, I shouldn't have done that. Instead, being curious, huh, wonder what that, why I'm not feeling great, what could I do differently next time? So I think curiosity is definitely one takeaway that I want people to have, just trying to be more curious. And, you know, your website is fabulous too, by the way. And, you know, you talk about how you help people doing meal prep and planning. Can you talk about that and and sort of the importance of that and why you think that should be part of all of our weekly activities? I love working with families to do meal prep and in general to try to cultivate a healthier relationship with food in the house. Again, I'm a mom of young children. And so I just love the idea of raising a generation of kids who feel joy and connection around food because that's really what food does for us, among other things. I go with families. Sometimes I'll do it in their home. Sometimes I do it virtually on the computer you know, just like in a session and we'll just meal prep together. We'll make some overnight oats or some breakfast or make, honestly, I've made some spring rolls. I've made Thai dishes, really whatever anyone's interest is. But I think that sometimes having a designated time and someone to do it can make all the difference in terms of prepping our meal for the week. And in general, I think we can all agree that planning usually means that we have a better sense of what's coming. And sometimes weeks can be unpredictable and life can be unpredictable. And if you have a few staples set, usually that can really lend itself to having a really great week of eating. And even if you don't have it kind of like planned down to the meal every single day, I think just having some core ingredients ready to go can make it much easier to fuel ourselves in ways that we feel good about. So like I said, I'm a mom of three young children and I'm intent on cultivating a joyful, happy relationship with them around food. And food does so much for us. It fuels our body, but it's also a source of connection and building tradition. And so I love working with families to cultivate a healthier relationship and a healthier environment around food. And even if it's just prepping a few items it can make for just a much more relaxing, a much more kind of intentional week as it relates to having variety. You know, I love your jar bar. So today, again, in preparation, I was like, oh, I'm going to do a couple jars this week. So it was so, you know, it was so good. So today I raced in from a meeting before our podcast here. And I tell you, it works. It was so fun to pull out my jar, my salad, and it was so good. And I felt joy because, wow, I kind of accomplished something. And I didn't reach for what I might have reached for had I not had this jar of, in this case, it was spinach salad and good stuff. And I love my garbanzo beans and have my avocado. It was so good. And I was satisfied. I love your jar bar (laughs) idea. Yay. That makes me so happy. (laughs) I feel like that is the perfect approach for anyone who's really busy. I love giving presentations in corporate settings and showing them how easy it is to just prepare those ahead of time and then have them ready to go for a busy day like today. And you nailed it because it sounds like you had a great combination of carbs and protein and fat. And when it's satisfying and you can do it ahead of time, it really makes it such an easier week. So much easier. And then when I came in and I opened up the refrigerator and I saw it there, like I said, I felt like it 
was like, wow, I completed something, you know, like, you know what I mean? And this is actually yes. kind of working. And then I think about my children, if they're going to listen to this, which they probably won't. Oh, the stress around that when they were younger, you know, I didn't do that. And I see that that would have been a really good way to do things. Yes. But for anyone who's listening, who's like, oh, I'm definitely not able to do that. That feels too hard for me. First of all, it really is a very easy thing to do. But also, we have to be gentle with ourselves. You, When you were in the thick of it with your kids, I'm in the thick of it with my kids sometimes. It doesn't always look pretty. It's not always doable. It just mason jars back then. You know? <laughs> or if they did, I didn't know. I didn't know where to get them anyway. <laughs> no, jars, those are a game changer, I think. But also... Like we're not always going to have a perfect week and it's not always going to be a perfect day of eating and just being gentle with ourselves and recognizing that we're just going to do the best that we can. It's okay. There's no perfectionism. And you know, before you asked me about one of the things that contributes, and I think that a lot of us have a really high standard for ourselves and it's really easy to get perfectionistic in terms of appearance, in terms of how we're eating ourselves. And I think that we could all just be a little bit more gentle. Like there is no such thing as perfect eating. There's no such thing as being perfect, frankly. And when we can just realize that it's enough. Like, it's okay. You know what? Fish sticks for dinner for my kids. It's okay. They're going to be fine. They're okay. It's good to give kids variety. It's good to show them that you can prioritize your own mental health and just kind of go order in the pizza or go to the drive-thru. Again, I think it's better. Like, I appreciate that people want that to be the exception, not the rule. I think that that's a fine way to approach it, but it's also okay if that sometimes is the reality for your family. That's okay. It makes you normal. It makes you healthy. Right. I love that. You also specialize in intuitive eating. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? I know we're reading more and more about intuitive eating, but I would love to learn more. Yes. Intuitive eating is a really wonderful approach. I'm so glad you asked about it. The authors of the approach are Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, and it's based on 10 principles. Basically, the premise is that as babies, we're born into this existence and we know what we need, right? Babies are born and they start crying, their mom feeds them or their dad feeds them, and then they stop when they're full and they just kind of have these instincts. They know how to go to the bathroom, they know how to go to sleep, and we're born with these instincts. And then diet culture comes in and it tells us about why certain foods are bad for us, why we shouldn't only eat during these hours, why we should only be drinking this and not that. And so it's really this process of getting back to what actually feels good to us. What is our intuition telling us? So the first principle is reject the diet mentality. Other principles include talking back to the food police, honoring our hunger, noticing what our fullness is, gentle nutrition, having joyful movement. They're all steps to get more in touch with what actually feels good to us in our body. And it's a really fabulous approach. You know, I used to practice it. It really just spoke to me as a young dietitian. And then I just realized it was something that I wanted to become certified in because I think that both Evelyn and Elise are just beautiful humans. And I wanted the opportunity to learn with them and to really gain supervision from them. And it's just a wonderful approach that has impacted so many of my clients' lives. I really see how people have such a more joyful existence when they're less judgmental and less hard on themselves. You know, Dora and I spent a lot of time talking about mindfulness and the importance of the practice of acceptance and the practice of living in the moment. And I think intuitive eating is a lot like that. I mean, you're listening to your body, you're staying with your body moment by moment. The mind can take a rest, right? And the body can lead. Absolutely. A really formative lecture I went to actually had Evelyn on the panel and a woman who wrote several books on mindfulness. 
they were both on the panel together. So it was really interesting to see them talking about how they approach food. And they're absolutely a complement to each other. Absolutely, mindfulness is a really big part of intuitive eating. And they really do go hand in hand. And I love that too, because the natural feeling, I think, when you sit down and take a breath and having the opportunity to have gratitude. And again, in preparation of our call today, I was like, did my steps and I was like, okay, I'm hungry. And I sat down and I did take a deep breath. And I did take some space and I did allow for my digestive juices to get going, you know? And I think that that's just so important when we are trying to retrain ourselves in terms of our relationship with our food. And I'd argue, and I think you say this too, it's an ongoing process, right? I mean, stressors happen, things happen, but every time we can shift back, it kind of keeps us on this track of less judgment and a healthier relationship, not just with our food, but with ourselves. You know, again, it's not like you have to get it perfect, but even just bringing your attention to it one time a day, one time a week, whatever is realistic for you, I agree that it just makes for a much more peaceful, relaxing, intuitive experience, you know, as it relates to food. I did a segment recently around stress and foods that reduce stress. And I think it's unrealistic to think that any food is going to magically just suck the stress out of our life. That said, if we're really hard on ourselves and how we're thinking about food, then that's definitely going to increase stress levels. But also having something like chocolate, most people really love chocolate and they feel a lot of peace and joy when they have a food like that. And we really can't discount that sometimes food nourishes our soul. It might not have the most rich nutrition associated with it, but if it nourishes our soul, then it's a great food to have in a way that feels good to us. I love that. And I love what you also taught is that there's no bad food. And this category, you know, how we categorize good, bad, whatever, you're like, hey, of course you don't want to eat all unhealthy foods, but it's all in all in balance, right? Or all just not overdoing things. It really is. I always say it's like all food fits. If you have an allergy or something is spoiled, then I think that that is not a good food for you. I think that that is an unhealthy food for you. But assuming that it is not either of those things, then you should have the food that feels good to you. And I actually love this example someone gave. It's like, if you got a new dress and you were like, oh my God, this is my favorite new piece of clothing. I just love it. I want to wear it every single day. So you're just wearing this outfit every single day. It's like your favorite new pair of whatever. (laughs) And then you're like going to hang it up in your closet. And you're like, oh man, you know, I forgot about that other piece of clothing that I have. I love that piece of clothing. I mean, I'm going to wear that tomorrow. And then you like go back to hang that up and you're like, oh, wait a second, I forgot about that pair of jeans. Like, I love that. And that's what intuitive eating is. It might be that if you've come from a place of restriction, that all of a sudden, like the pendulum swings and you're going to the other side and you feel like you're eating that one food that you used to say was off limits all the time. But eventually, hopefully you'll check in with yourself and you'll notice that it doesn't feel great to have that one food all the time because there are actually a lot of foods out there that you really enjoy and that when you have them in balance, it actually feels really good. So it's just about giving yourself the space to notice how food feels in your body, to have the opportunity to just have a large variety and notice how it makes you feel. But again, it's like that curiosity. Instead of having judgment, being curious, like, how is this making me feel? I feel great after this meal. What did I have that made me feel so good? Oh, you know what? Maybe it was just the company that I had the meal with. It was just so much fun. And maybe it's not even the food that makes me feel so happy. And so just giving ourselves the space to think about that because a lot of joy can come in when we stop feeling so judgmental and so hyper fixated on what we're eating. Such good advice. 
Rachel, thank you for this conversation. It's been so enlightening to me and I know to our listeners that we really can shift our relationship with food, that it is possible and that it actually will offer lots and lots of joy in our lives. So thank you for that. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doral. Be well. Precision medicine is a genetics-based approach to personalized care informed by biometrics, genomics, and lifestyle factors. Dr. Dawson, founder, CEO of Wild Health, can bring you incredible recommendations for diet, exercise, sleep, mental health, disease risk reduction, and more based on your personal health story. All of you are invited to get to know Matt Dawson better beside the ocean and over some incredible meals at Gasparilla in November. Call for the Foundations of Wellness Experience reservations at 877-764-1420 or the-gasparilla-in.com.